This is Kick-Ass News. I'm Ben Mathis. I think that's about as much of the Simpsons intro as I can legally hum without getting sued by Fox and or composer Danny Elfman, but I always say, it's not copyright infringement if it's done with love, right? And no one, and I mean no one, loves the Simpsons more than yours truly. That little yellow family has been a weirdly significant part of my life for the past 27 years. I can still remember going to school the day after the very first episode aired in 1989, yikes, and the Simpsons were all that we kids could talk about that day. And later on in college, my roommates and I had a nightly routine that revolved around watching the Simpsons reruns at 5 o'clock, then racing to the cafeteria, scarfing down our food, and running back to the dorm to catch the second episode of The Simpsons a half hour later. Come to think of it, that may have been the only exercise I got all four years. Even today, I still consider The Simpsons appointment television and an essential part of my Sunday evening ritual. For my money, it's still the best damn show on television and probably the greatest TV show of all time. And you know, Time Magazine agrees. In 1999, they named The Simpsons the 20th century's best television series, and in that same issue, Time included Bart Simpson in their list of the 100 most influential people of the century, the only fictional character to make the Time 100 list. In 2008, The Simpsons placed first on Entertainment Weekly's list of the top 100 shows of the past 25 years and named Homer Simpson the greatest character of the last 20 years. TV Guide named Simpsons as the greatest TV cartoon of all time and the 10th greatest show of all time. This is to say nothing of all the awards heaped on The Simpsons, including 31 Primetime Emmys, 30 Annie Awards, and a Peabody Award. It's by far the longest-running primetime series in television history, now entering its 28th season. Just to give you a reference point, no other television show has ever lasted longer than 20 seasons. But the impact of The Simpsons goes far beyond mere accolades and records. No entertainment has influenced our society over the past three decades the way The Simpsons has, both reflecting and influencing our culture with every single episode. Darren Franich of Entertainment Weekly has said, quote, The Simpsons turned hyper-referentiality into an art form, regularly packing in throwaway references to high and low culture right from the start. Indeed, Simpsons references have become such a part of our conversation that we almost forget their origins. And of course, let's not forget all of those signature catchphrases like, Hidely ho, neighborinos! Yoink! Ay, caramba! Mm. Excellent. Several of the words that were first heard on The Simpsons have even been legitimized with inclusion in the Webster's and Oxford dictionaries, such as Don't! and Meh. and of course, it's a perfectly cromulent word. As Mark Lieberman, director of the Linguistics Data Consortium, once put it, The Simpsons has apparently taken over from Shakespeare and the Bible as our culture's greatest source of idioms, catchphrases, and sundry other textual allusions. 
The Simpsons has been no less influential within the entertainment industry itself. After all, would the Fox network still be around today if it hadn't had a runaway hit like The Simpsons to establish the fledgling network in the early years? And as the first primetime animated series since The Flintstones aired 30 years prior, The Simpsons both paved the way and set the standard for adult animated shows that would follow, including South Park, Futurama, King of the Hill, and of course Family Guy, which frankly we all know is a blatant ripoff of The Simpsons. It's also been credited with influencing live-action series like Malcolm in the Middle and The Office, and The Simpsons Writer's Room has been a famous breeding ground for some of the funniest talents in Hollywood, including Conan O'Brien. Today I'll talk with the man who acts as part impresario, den mother, and drill sergeant over that writer's room, Al Jean. He's won eight Emmy Awards, a Peabody, and a Cable Ace Award, remember those? And he was a writer on The Simpsons from day one. He's now overseen the show as head writer, executive producer, and showrunner on The Simpsons for most of its 28 seasons. Al Jean still remembers watching the first finished episode titled Simpsons Roasting on an Open Fire and thinking to himself it was the greatest project he had ever been involved with and he wanted to work on The Simpsons for the rest of his career. Even though he was only 27 at the time, he had racked up an impressive list of credits. Like many comedy writers, Al Jean honed his funny bone in college writing for the legendary Harvard Lampoon, where he met his writing partner, Mike Reese. Upon graduating from Harvard, they worked for the National Lampoon magazine until they got a gig writing jokes for the movie Airplane 2, and they were suddenly bit by the Hollywood bug. They wrote for the groundbreaking news parody show, Not Necessarily the News, one of HBO's first forays into original programming. After that, he and Mike Reese wrote for the short-lived but hilarious TV series Sledgehammer, which was one of my childhood favorites, and that's when they were brought on to The Tonight Show to write sketches and desk bits like Johnny Carson's famous Karnak routine and in a more subtle way, to lend a younger, edgier humor to Carson, who wanted to stay relevant and keep up with the hot new guy on the late-night scene, David Letterman. Following a brief, awkward interview with Johnny himself, the head writer hired Al Jean and his partner Mike Reese and told them not to get too comfortable because they'll probably be fired within 13 weeks. Writers were hired, fired, and rehired on The Tonight Show all the time back then. But Al and Mike managed to hang in there for two whole years before going on to write for the hit NBC sitcom ALF and then working as writers and producers on the groundbreaking It's Gary Shandling's Show, the revolutionary single-camera comedy that would prove to be greatly influential on their next series, the most iconic and longest-lasting show of all time, The Simpsons. Today, I'll talk with Al about his early years on The Johnny Carson Show, including his favorite Karnak joke, writing those famous letters to Santa that were supposedly from little children, and putting on a talent show for Johnny. Then we'll get into the early days of The Simpsons and how many of the characters evolved from bad celebrity impressions by Hank Azaria. We'll discuss some of the early controversies that surrounded the show, including a strange rivalry between the fictional Simpsons family and the first President Bush. And I'll ask Al Jean if Rupert Murdoch has ever tried to censor some of the show's lighthearted jabs at Fox News. 
He'll talk about the process in the Simpsons writer's room and how they practically invented the VCR moment, packing every episode with more jokes than you could even catch in one viewing, and the challenge of keeping the show fresh after 625 episodes. We'll talk about the fans and some of their more interesting conspiracy theories that range from one that Homer has actually been in a coma since 1993 to claims that The Simpsons predicted 9-11 and even a Trump presidency. Plus, Al will reveal how he'd like to one day end the final episode, not that they plan on ending the show anytime soon, he says. Coming up with Simpsons head writer and executive producer Al Jean in just a moment. Well, I'm thrilled to be with Al Jean, the head writer and showrunner of The Simpsons, now entering its 28th season. Al Jean, thanks for sitting down with me. My pleasure. I'm having fun in your office while I was waiting, <laughs> looking at all the Simpsons memorabilia, and I noticed here you have a Japanese poster of a Don King fight it's or a, something. It's a, a Chinese poster. Or Chinese, okay. Given to me by Sam Simon, who used to manage a boxer named... Uh, boxer named Lehman Brewster, who was a world heavyweight champ for a while. And um, Sam suggested calling this fight that was going to take place in Beijing the Great Brawl of China. But the Chinese <laughs> uh, promoters didn't want to call it that. So their title was Happy Get Together in Beijing. <laughs> That's the name of the boxing match. Great name for a match. Well, you're now entering the 28th season. That's eight more seasons than the next longest running show. Which is actually South Park now. Is it 20? Oh, is it really? Yeah. South Park is now 20? Okay, because yeah. I thought it was Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke is also 20, well, uh, but I'm sure South Park will pass them. Okay, but, well, Gunsmoke still has the highest number of episodes, right? Not that we count, but 635. Okay, yes. <laughs> Are you gonna, I'm trying to think, is this the season that you might suppress them, or we is that the following season? <clears throat> if we get a pickup for at least one more year, uh, that would put us up to um, 647, so we would pass Okay, them. okay. I, I have this image of you walking into the writer's room mid-season, next season, and just being like, we beat them. To hell with you all. I'm out of here. I'm, I'm going on vacation. You know, it's funny. <laughs> I'm never we, coming back. <laughs> we joke about it. It doesn't, I did it. you know, it's not like, I mean, to me, to get to 600 or 500, you know, is a real accomplishment. And uh, it, it's such a different industry and a different you know, template, everything has its own luck that, you know, it's, we're not competitive with them. We just, <laughs> you know, want to do our own show. And of course there's a huge advantage to being animated, you know, shows like Cheers yeah. were always great and it, just the cast didn't want to do it at a certain point. Yeah. You have this whole universe that you're working with of characters. No one ages. You don't have actors who age. Uh, you can do a million different settings. It's hard for me to imagine how they got 600 something plot lines out of Gunsmoke. <laughs> it is. And that, well, what's interesting about it is I did research it a little. They had a last episode, of course, and it wasn't any big deal. You know, it was the longest yeah. running show until that point or until this point, And they didn't have, uh, you know, 
the 600th or 500th episode wasn't a milestone. It was just you just did television shows. You know, the first yeah. time I remember uh, something being a milestone, I think, was maybe the 200th episode of Cheers. And the first last episode yeah. that was prominent was the last episode of The Fugitive. And then the last episode of Mary Tyler Moore. And then it became a thing. And how do you end <laughs> your series? And, you know, what they started, it wasn't at all, you know, there was no end to I Love Lucy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, you came out, gosh, I guess... When at the at the end of the eighties, eighty nine in December was the okay. first Christmas. But show. you came out to Hollywood originally oh. with uh, Mike Reese, your writing partner. Y'all had been in uh, nineteen eighty two. We okay. were working on Airplane Two. That's the bad one of the airplane movies. Yeah, that's and, the space shuttle one, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's a it's a good movie if you never saw Airplane One, um, and that was our first uh, writing job in L A. And um, we worked for not necessarily the news on HBO, which was a great show. Um, Sledgehammer, Alf. Oh, uh, I remember loving Sledgehammer. What happened to that show? Did that last very long? Well, it was funny. It was. It was hilarious. It, the first year, back when this was a huge thing, Miami Vice was on uh, Friday nights, and they put it against Miami Vice and Dallas. I think was also against. So <laughs> it had a terrible slot. And the second season, they put it against the Cosby Show, which was at its height. So, okay. um, you know, it really didn't wow. have much of a chance, but it was yeah. a really cool show. And yeah, it was a funny show. Yeah, star David Rashi, really, really funny guy. Yeah. yeah, and then you worked, I think, on The Tonight Show, right? Pre previous to Sledgehammer, we were at The Tonight Show Okay. Uh, from 84 to 86 when Carson was the host. And um, it was a great job to have had. I, don't, I can't say I knew him well. Yeah. We saw him maybe three times the whole period we worked there. In yeah. person. Yeah, what was the interview with Carson like? This is already longer than the interview with Carson. Is that we, um, uh, we uh, were told, you know, just, uh, you know, don't say much. You know, he'll, he'll just kind of look you over. He made a joke about how young we were. Uh, and he was just like being a guest on his show, sort of. You know, you're sitting on the couch <laughs> and talking to him for about five minutes. And he, he winked. And we, and we said, it was a really pleasure to meet you. And we got the job. <laughs> and never saw him again, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. And what did uh, someone say to you? They said, welcome to the show. You'll be gone in 13 weeks. Because he fired writers all the time and then rehired them. <laughs> they were rotated. I never knew... Because you never talked to him directly, what whether it was him or the head writer or why writers were rotating, but it was 13-week options, and we lasted a year and a half, which we thought, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's um, a good run. And we were actually, we were let go, but then they offered to uh, have us come back, as they, they did, and then we were already working on Sledgehammer, so we couldn't. Okay. And you didn't do the monologues, right? No. You guys wrote uh, the, the wrote bits, the, the sketches, again, the then un, the desk The unfunny bits part, yeah. Okay. The, um, Karnak, uh, but uh, yeah. a little secret is Carson hated Karnak. He thought it was like a day off for the writers. But that, that was, was everyone's easy. favorite bit. He never felt that way. Really? <clears throat> and then um, we worked on, uh, you know, Art Fern and the Tea yeah. Time movie and Floyd R. Turbo. And, uh, All of the ripoff ones where he, where he steals someone else's act. It's correct. Those voices were Art Fern was Jackie Gleason, Turbo yeah. was Tom Smothers. Aunt yes. Blabby, uh, Jonathan was, Winters. That was actually kind of a more <laughs> bitter thing where he took the voice and Jonathan Winters was never on the show again. 
uh, oh. as, as I understood it. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a little dark. And not only would the writers write the jokes, but they would write the savers for the jokes. And you guys, somewhere to, along... To a degree. I mean, yeah. he was really funny, and he didn't need anybody saving him from anything. Okay. But, but when you would you write ad-libs for him, right? Would, when you had Karnak, you would write savers like Karnak going down Cairo, Casa de Caca, or something, <laughs> that he could, you know, you were planning on it bombing. Um, and then you would we they called civilians which was people who weren't in showbiz uh were on the show like a woman with a potato chip collection right i remember that then then you would write him uh lines in case it was a little tough but when it was a standard guest you know like a charles groden or something you didn't write anything for him yeah and and somewhere i heard that you guys actually wrote the letters from children to Santa Claus one year. That is year. true. Yeah, every year they'd go. <laughs> the, Johnny and the, on the air would go. Letters from children written to Santa Claus. They were supposed to be. They were funny. supposed to be cute, and, and yeah. they, you know, the New York Post Office would collect letters addressed to Santa. And Johnny on the show would always say, "You can't make this up." And then one year the head writer said, "The, the kids' letters suck. You got to make them up." <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so we did. We, we wrote the, the letters and the and the jokes about them, which was now, easier. Did you have a favorite Karnak joke? That you and Mike wrote? We did, but it, it didn't air on The Tonight Show. It was St. Elsewhere, uh, What's the Message on Mother Teresa's Answering Machine? <laughs> uh, not real 80s joke, but it was... Uh, it not, for some reason, Carson turned it down, and uh, we, we did an ALF episode uh, where ALF pretended he was the host of The Tonight Show, and we used it on that. I remember that one. Okay, yeah, I, I think I remember that one. Yeah, the ALF people <laughs> were doing that episode and said, hey, want to use your old material that you know never aired? And we said, that sounds like us. Let me ask you, because I, I always heard that Johnny would make the staff perform in a talent show that is once correct. a year for the, the anniversary well, party of the show. There, again, he would it force was like, them to get up and entertain. It was like, you can't make this stuff up where... There was a talent show. Some people did it um, because they wanted to after the anniversary show. This was at the private party at the Beverly Hills Hotel. But then he would also, one year he, he said uh, to my writing partner, Mike Reese and I, we had to perform. We didn't volunteer. <laughs> so we did a little act and got some laughs. And then at the end, Carson said, don't quit your, day jo- don't quit your day job. <laughs> after which he fired us from our day job. <laughs> So, do, do you remember what the act was that you guys yeah, did? Yeah, I could play piano a little bit, so I played okay. um, a thing uh, from pictures at an exhibition. And Mike uh, came out, it was kind of a stripper thing, but he was wearing a T-shirt and shorts. He had balloons all over him, and he smoked a cigar, which he used to pop the balloons. And then the T-shirt read, <laughs> I heart Johnny. Well, like a Gypsy Rose Lee yeah, routine or something. But he's, <laughs> he was very funny doing it, and, and I was in a tux. And uh, again, you know, we were asked to do it. And and, and, and again, he hired, he offered to hire us back. So I, you never really knew what was going on at that show. It was kind of like working for the Politburo or something. You never you had to read the wall posters to know who was up and who was down. It was very compartmentalized because you guys were writing the sketches. The writers who wrote the monologues, you guys never even interacted, really. Um, and you never really I, ran I, into Johnny. Yeah, I would meet like what Michael Berry once or twice at the at the party usually. Or um, uh, there were two Mulhollands. There was Jim Mulholland who I barely met, and there was Kevin Mulholland who was also one of the sketch writers. He, Kevin is the one who came up with the Karnak sis boom ba. What's the sound an exploding sheep makes? That <laughs> people say is the best Karnak yeah. ever. Yeah, and after you left Carson, what did you do between that? The that technical thing was our option wasn't picked up. We oh, your option to... wasn't picked up. Yeah, we weren't. But we... you were already there. What, two, a year two and or half, three times year as and longer, and as, as longer than they predicted, huh? Yeah. When so, you walked in, okay. You know, I 
whatever. I, again, it was I'm really famously I difficult to work there. I've heard for writers. So. You know, but it was it wasn't it wasn't. What was difficult was that you you know it was daily and and he. The, the truth of it is, he was a hilarious guy and he was really really funny just talking and he always wanted to be I think somebody like Jackie Gleason where he mm-hmm. could do these great characters but he really wasn't that so he would do these things and people would always say this to us they go why does he even do those bits that you write because you know to us we like the monologue and Karnak and then go to the guests and um, it's true it was like we were sort of like caught in this little grindstone where it was like he wanted to do this thing but he didn't really like it and um, the truth is he never didn't really even need to do it yeah, yeah. Now, how did you end up on The Simpsons? We ended up on The Simpsons because, uh, as had happened a few times in our career, um, these writers we knew in college, Tom Gamble and Max Pross, uh, were uh, friends of Sam Simon, who was hiring writers for the show. He was developing it based on Matt Groening's um, right. uh, cartoons and uh, short Simpsons episodes. and. From the Tracy Ullman show, uh, the Tracy right? Ullman yeah. show, and Sam uh, wanted Tom and Max, but they were uh, committed to a project of their own. So um, he, they recommended us, and we barely knew Sam, but we were the first staff writers hired, and it was by far the most fortuitous career thing that ever happened to me. Yeah, I should say so. Now, what did you think of the show when you first came on it? Did you think it was going to go anywhere? I thought two things. I thought I, I loved Jim Brooks's work. You know, since uh, Mary Tyler Moore show, especially in Room Two Twenty Two, I mean, he was the yeah the greatest TV writer then and now. Uh, and Sam uh, worked with him on Taxi, which was another one of my favorite shows. And I liked Matt's work very much, in Life and Hell, and the LA Reader first, and then the Weekly. So I thought, well, with these three guys, an opportunity to work with them is great. I thought, I don't know, who knows if this will be a hit. But it's animated, and there's nothing animated that's been on in years, and it's yeah. going to be from this quality trio, so it's going to get noticed. Um, so, And then when I saw the Christmas episode put together, the first episode that aired and the, we had worked on it, I, I thought to myself, oh, my God, this is the best thing I've ever been involved with. This is really you know, going to – and I knew it was a hit. I went to Disney World, and they had a um, Simpsons jacket, and people were coming up and asking about it, and – you know, you go. You thought, oh my gosh, it's it's, you know, this is. I mean, for it was a phenomenon. First, it was. It was from, like from the I, day one. Yeah, I mean, you know, I wish everyone in their life would have at least one thing like we had that at the beginning there, where it was just unbelievably popular. I would literally walk down the street and you'd hear people talking about it. And um, my fear at the time, um, when we started to run it in season three, was. As I said, we'd worked on ALF, and ALF was a top ten show in season two when I was there full time. By the end of season four, it was off the air, and Mork right. and Mindy had a similar arc. And shows that had an audience that was, uh, you know, a lot of kids in it uh, would often be meteoric uh, in their yeah. ascent and descent. And I was really nervous that The Simpsons would be a similar fast fate. So... Um, we just, you know, seasons three and four and everybody who's worked on it then and since has just been, you know, so concerned with keeping it good and popular. Yeah, and I think you've done a fantastic job keeping this fresh over the years. And it is funny because, like, yeah, kids can be so fickle. But I remember I was a kid when it first came out. I mean, I can remember the day after the first episode 
me and all my buddies talking about The Simpsons the next day at school. And it's, it, I guess one of the reasons it's lasted, at least with my generation, is because we've kind of grown up with the show. We started being all about Bart, yeah. and then we all get older and fatter, and we evolve into Homer. <laughs> I feel like I've kind of gone through it with the show. Well, what's bizarre, and by the way, I can relate. When I was a kid, the Batman TV series came on, and I remember that being the biggest deal in the world the day after it aired and, and talking about it in kindergarten. Um, but but now what's happened is is that it's been on and, and been part of so many people's lives that these crazy like the choo choo choose me Valentine I got yeah. that Valentine when I was in third grade it's a real thing <laughs> the Ralph Wiggum one yeah, yeah. And I pitched that idea for that story and now it's you know arguably the most famous Valentine in the history of Valentines <laughs> yes. and you know there are similar things that you know Matt certainly like you know the characters named after his family. Yeah. I think he always thought the show was going to be a hit, but I think he, you know, no one could have dreamed how famous the name Homer Simpson would become. And Homer Groening is his father, and Homer Groening is a very smart, was a yeah. very smart man, and not a Homer Simpson at all. And and um, you and know, what I think of is I remember uh, what was it, Day of the Locusts, it was the, the movie character in the book, named Homer is Simpson. named Homer Simpson. I can't watch that now. Without laughing, yeah, <laughs> because it's a serious movie. Well, Matt was extremely clever. Movie. There were so many allusions and references to Portland uh, streets, to you know, <laughs> uh, things that he knew. The M and the G are in Homer's hair. You know, I mean, it's real. Yeah. you know, very, very cleverly insider-y. layered. Yeah, there's many levels yeah. to it. And and I remember it's so strange to look back at those early episodes now because Homer. He was doing like a Walter Matthau impression. It was, like, it was like, come here, boy. He was doing Walter Matthau. He was also angrier than stupid. He was, he yeah. was actually kind of a, a mad. He's kind of an ogre. Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, he's been stupider and smarter at various points. And we try not to make him too stupid. But, you know, it um, it internalized to a character. Dan Castellaneta made it into something that was its own and, and wasn't just Walter Matthau or. Yeah angry cranky guy and uh that's that's what great characters you know are they have roots but then mm-hmm. they become their own li- they take on their own life yeah and it seems like so many of the characters on the show are just hank azaria or someone doing a bad impression of some hollywood star you know, uh wiggum is uh, edward g robinson the professor said, is jerry said, lewis he said <laughs> mo is um al pacino yeah a very, okay, a very see that. strange you know al pacino but again mo <laughs> is totally unique you know great character that that Hank has has evolved him into. We're going to take a quick break, and then I'll be back for more with The Simpsons' Al Jean when we come back in just a minute. Yeah, I can remember in those early days all the controversy around the show. You know, what was it? Wasn't there a controversy with Bush? Well, the, there was uh, the, the, fir- the first Coop Bush. Or, uh, the seems first like Bush everyone who's, was criticizing it. Yeah. The first Bush, who's a Democrat now today, <laughs> voting yeah. for Hillary. Yeah, Bush forty-one. Yeah. <laughs> who? Um, but see, I, this is what I always thought. I, he's a smart guy, and he's got a sense of humor. He did a line at a convention saying uh, America should be more like the Waltons than the Simpsons. <laughs> I doubt he had seen the Simpsons, and I think somebody said, "Oh, this will get a big applause line from the right wing crowd." Yeah. And. You know, then we had a re- that had to do a re- response, so we just said, "Well, uh, we're like the Waltons; we're praying for an end of a depression too." Um, <laughs> but 
Uh, and I think Barbara criticized you. And wasn't there something with C. Everett Coop where he was visiting a sick kid and there was a poster of Bart? Oh, I don't know about like, the Coop one. Or I, maybe it was someone else like that. Someone in the administration. I thought it was C. Everett Coop, Coop for was some weird, reason. Because he was Reagan. I thought he was. Oh, earlier, okay. But I don't. Okay, yeah. I'm not Barbara sure who Bush it was. criticized this, yeah. and then we wrote. Uh, Jim Brooks wrote a letter as Marge to Barbara, saying, "I, you know, we're just mothers, like you and I, trying to, <laughs> you know, raise our families." And and then Barbara Bush wrote a, a not gracious response to that. And then um, I think he find the first Bush finally watched it when. The episode aired uh, where Homer was his neighbor, and, and oh, his supposedly that's his one response, of my favorites. He was that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> so, oh, he said that, and then our response is, "Well, take a look at your son." Yeah, <laughs> you know, I don't know. It could go on forever. I, I actually the Bush forty one. I don't. I there's a lot I admire about him. I you know what happened subsequently. I think is is sad, but. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that episode is one of the silliest episodes and funniest episodes. Is where I'm sure people know it. Where Bush, I guess Bush, once he's out of the White House, he retires and moves across the street, and he has this rivalry with Homer Simpson. Uh, And and the the best thing is the button at the end when Homer finally drives him crazy and he leaves the neighborhood in a huff. Next thing you know, uh, Gerald Gerald Ford Ford moves in, and Homer and Gerald Ford end up being best buddies. Yes. Well, it was another, you know, it's funny. I think about, I I couldn't vote when Ford ran, but I liked Ford, and I would have voted for him. And uh, you know how the media has these narratives where the narrative with him was he was stupid and clumsy, and I go, he's neither of those things. He went to Yale Law School, and he was a football player. And um, it's just funny how uh, you get these perceptions, these comic perceptions, and they're not true at all. Now, at a certain point, I guess you you guys were showrunners on it pretty early on, and seasons then, three and four. Yeah, and, and then, then Jim Brooks wanted us to do the critic. Uh, wanted us to create our own. Oh, okay. Show. So that was his left. idea. That wasn't you guys. I never want to leave. You didn't want to leave Simpsons. No, kicking and Oh, screaming. I didn't know that. Well, we stayed as consultants, and okay. then we went to right. Disney because they're already showrunners in place. And at Disney, we had a deal that allowed us. To produce our own Simpsons, which included the X Files crossover and the Lisa yeah. Sachs episode, and then um, after the Disney deal expired, uh, Mike Scully was running it, and I was offered a chance to return, and I said absolutely, and I <laughs> haven't left. What didn't work with the critic? I mean, now it's gotten kind of a cult following, but it only lasted a well, season. Well, they were the biggest problem was. It was on the wrong network initially. It was on ABC because that was a network Jim Brooks had to deal with. And we wrote it like The Simpsons. But it was put after Home Improvement, a huge hit. And, you know, I'm not blaming anyone but ourselves. We didn't carry the lead-in of that show. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we didn't hold on to it. Uh, what's really funny is if you look at the actual numbers we got, they would be huge hits. <laughs> like we got eight point sixes or something. And oh yeah. Um, yeah. Then it was moved to Fox, and it actually was a success on Fox after The Simpsons. Ratings wise, it was doing wa- fine, and it was canceled because the person that bought it uh, then wasn't president of the network, and you know usually that often means that their projects get taken off the air. So that was. Yeah. So it it didn't work, and then it did, but that. It's a very common story in a lot of Yeah, I, I feel like I had the same problem with the critic that I had with that I have with Family Guy in that unlike The Simpsons, it stops everything for a gag. Well, in the middle of, I of, wish, of I a wish story, we had the problem you know? with Family Guy's longevity and success. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the right. um 
I mean, the biggest thing with the critic, we did testing and it was very eye opening because what it, what it was was we made the character kind of pathetic and mm-hmm. whiny. And I, you know, John Lovitz is really funny. And, and yeah. what we didn't capture about John is that he has this great confidence that's often based on nothing. <laughs> and, <laughs> and once in the second season, when it seemed to work after uh, The Simpsons on Fox, he was a confident guy, he had a girlfriend. You know, he was still like annoyed by the world and, and lived in New York and all that, but yeah. he he was not miserable, and that's always a good okay. lesson. Now, when you came back to The Simpsons, was that a happy moment for you? I assume. Oh, it was... I was so happy. I remember it was uh, it was July first, nineteen ninety eight, and I came in and I was like, I missed this so much. <laughs> the 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 best thing about it, or one of the best things, was. When you're out, you know, trying to do your own show, you get all these notes from the network. You get like dozens, literally dozens of executives telling you what to do and they conflict with each other mm-hmm. and nobody really Everyone knows. Everyone has what, notes. Yeah. Whereas with The Simpsons, you, it makes money. People know what's good about it and you don't have to justify it. You can just do what you think is good. You've never gotten a call from Rupert? No. Never, I mean, never, never a complaint? No. And we've really lacerated Fox, yeah, Fox News. We've... I mean, we, we did do, we had a thing where we had a helicopter that said Fox News, not racist, but uh, number one with racists. And then <laughs> uh, we did two more, they, you know, there was like a controversy and Bill O'Reilly, you know, knocked us. So we did two more Fox yeah. helicopters. And then somebody said, okay, you did three. And you, <laughs> you can stop for a while. So that was, I mean, but that's what I would call that good sport, you know, okay. not bad. Okay, but you never got a call from Rupert. Nope. Okay. No, no. Okay. I, I and, but you had him on the show, right? Yeah. Was that he, his voice? When yes. You, when you have Rebecca? Yeah, okay. multiple times playing yeah. an evil billionaire. Yeah. <laughs> now, when you're working in the writer's room on The Simpsons, what is what is the process like when you're writing an episode? How does it begin? Well, uh, the writer or team of writers, a pair of writers, comes up with an idea for an episode. And uh, we have a retreat every year. Matt and Jim and I, you know, listen to the stories. And the ones that have promising we turn into uh, full-fledged, you know, beginning, middle, and ends, you know, maybe a B story, and the writer goes off and does a first draft. And then it's completely rewritten about a dozen times by the writing staff. Uh, every, every script, mine or anybody else's, just gets, you know, put through this process, which I think makes it much, much better. We read it at the table with the cast, and we see what works and what doesn't, and we get their input. We uh, revise it and record it on the following Monday. The reads are on Thursday. It goes to the animators who do storyboards, which are now on an iPad, so that you can actually kind of see them animated, which has really helped the process, and you rewrite those. Uh, This is like the one change in the last, you know, five years that makes us, you know, even sort of more streamlined than we've been, you know, we'd been in the years prior. Then we have an animatic, which is a rough screening with the writers. Uh, we rewrite that. We have a color screening. We just had one today for a show that'll air in December, and you can still make some changes. It's a lot harder in the color. It's a lot more expensive to change, so you do yeah. minimal changes then. But you could really, my joke is always, we did a show about the Soviet Union, uh, joke in, at the show, that by the time it aired, we had to change the joke because the Soviet Union had broken up. Yeah, I mean, for a writer, it must be a torturous process. If you write a gag or a joke that works in the room, then you have to wait for the actors to record it so you can hear it. 
then you have to wait what a month or so for the animators to to actually well to... but there's usually we do things that are pretty timeless like we yeah. have a show coming out where castro's alive so it's like <laughs> hold on one more month yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know i think it makes it better because the 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 thing about it is is that you get perspective you get a couple months where you haven't worked on it and you come back and you work on the show again and you can yeah. see what works and what doesn't and that is invaluable yeah and when you plan out a season you know, it's not like an ordinary show where you have an arc to the season. Do you just start banging out ideas or do you say, okay, we need so many spoof episodes, we need Never. a Burns episode? No, there's no quotas. Okay. And we don't do arcs. There's a couple reasons. Um, I mean, we didn't at the beginning, it was the main reason, but this, the other reasons I would say are, I, you know, I love shows that have arcs. Some of my favorite shows ever are like Mad Men and The Sopranos. But for us, uh, I think that there's a great, quality that it, it's interchangeable that the show from season two to yeah. season 22 is kind of the same and you know my ending for the series if we should ever end would be that we go back at the very end of the christmas pageant that opened the series and it's all a loop that there's no ending and no beginning and um yeah because if one they never we, age you could do that yeah i think we, the one reason yeah. we've lasted so long <laughs> is because we don't have you know shows with arcs uh, some of them don't syndicate as well because mm -hmm. people know what happens at the end and they're like well i know that story and you know we like to just have the ability to shift shows and not like yeah. we don't we don't say this is going to happen then that's going to happen and and yeah. i don't you know i mean some have been forced upon us sadly by like marcia wallace passing away but yeah yeah and it must be i mean it's great that any one episode can stand on its own you can, oh, you that's, can that's jump into like. the show no, any point you, that and, you want and i feel like you know whatever i do whoever took over they still have the same basic template and they mm -hmm. could they could you know do whatever they wanted and i haven't you know altered it irrevocably for them yeah but after 28 seasons it must be really hard for you guys to come up with new storylines that's the hardest and not part of the job. yourself yeah I'm sure. it's, it's hard and um but that's why you know it's a it's a good job i mean it's because the people you know sit and think and and you know make it better yeah and uh you know it's about a family and everywhere in the world yeah. people have families and you know the families have problems that they didn't you know 30 years ago so it's always something how do you keep from repeating gags i mean do you do you have a database that you check it's just <laughs> when our you're memories, writing an episode and matt selman and, and yeah. the writers and uh, we have i mean there have oh, been really? repeated things but i'm always embarrassed it's <laughs> not too many fortunately yeah yeah none that i've noticed um, you have so many of these text gags that are put into the show, for, not just from the chalkboard scenes, but the, any marquee and so forth. And I guess you guys really created the VCR joke or the VCR we, moment. So we, certainly, we certainly took advantage of it. We yeah. knew that there would be things you couldn't possibly see and that you could, you know, when we began, VCRs were definitely omnipresent and now TiVo and anything else. So. That was our goal was to, yeah. you know, and, and it's advanced so much. I mean, shows, again, like Mad Men have so many layers to them and things that you really have to watch twice at least yeah. before you understand what's going on. Some of those text jokes kind of, I guess, get lost because people don't even pay attention sometimes. Unless you're a hardcore fan, you stop and you read those. Do you ever feel like you waste a lot of good material there? No, no. I mean, if it's there and somebody can possibly get it, it's worth it. Yeah. Now, what are the fans like? When the you, ones when I run met into and the them. ones that I hear from on are Twitter they crazy? are crazy. No, they're great. I yeah. mean, again, one of the best aspects of the job is that people will say, 
honestly, I've heard this said to me that, that, you know, during a tough time in somebody's life that the Simpsons helped them get through it. And I go, wow, that's wonderful. Are you amazed by some of the minutia that they throw at you? Yeah, they know, they remember more than I do and they know more. And I I mean, but again, I remember when I was a kid and how much, you know, people loved Sherlock Holmes and I, and I thought, you know, Mm -hmm. wow, I mean, that's the mark of something that's good is that people really care about it. Yeah, and they care so much that these conspiracies seem to pop up. Uh, I was interested to read, I guess there are conspiracy theories that Homer's been in a coma since 1993 and that Homer is secretly well, crusty the clown. Two, two, two different things. The coma, you know, that it would mean that everything, that, that we planned something that we didn't tell anybody and that every showrunner since you know, adhered to it. That isn't true and never was. The Krusty thing, it is true that when Matt designed Krusty, he put Homer's design in a clown suit on top of it. And and originally, again, he had a lot of little ideas that, you know, he was planning. One was that Krusty would turn out to be Homer, like a secret identity. But he's not. I mean, you know, now just the designs look alike. Yeah, and wasn't one of his other plans that at the final episode, uh, Marge was going to turn out to be a rabbit? She's yes, going to have a reveal where she takes off her hair. But that, yeah, I mean, obviously he thought that wasn't, you know, in line with the character anymore. Yeah, and, and some of these are actually serious conspiracy theories. There are these theories that you guys have somehow predicted 9-11 and the Ebola scare, and you and Matt Groening are, are, are in the Illuminati or something. <laughs> it's, it's different things. There's an insane, terrible coincidence. There was a Homer uh, Goes to New York episode written by Ian Maxton Graham where... Uh, there was a pamphlet that said New York on $9 a day, and, and behind the nine were the twi- uh, Twin Towers that looked like an 11, so it looked like a 9-11, and that aired in 98. Oh. It was an absolute yeah. bizarre, terrible coincidence. Um, the Ebola thing was a show I wrote, but uh, what people forget is there was a movie that Dustin right. Hoffman was in about Two Ebola. movies, in fact, yeah, I think, so weren't it there wasn't, at It wasn't the same something time. that it was like never heard yeah. of, so that was where that came yeah. from. Then there were things though. We did, um, you know, have a joke about Trump being president, and oh you know, right, yeah. We and the, did a World Cup show where it was in Brazil, and we thought that it'd be funny if the Brazilians lost. So we thought, well, who would win? Probably Germany. So we did predict that final, <laughs> you know, correctly. So yeah, maybe we are. I don't know. Yeah, there are th- these theories that you guys are either, I guess, omniscient or part of the new world order or something. So I, I think if you say enough things, then some of them will come true. <laughs> yeah, and, and some of these are so hilarious because one was, you know, there's an episode where I guess the citizens of Shelbyville steal the lemon tree mm-hmm. in Springfield. And then they point to, like, 15 years later, someone stole a lemon tree in Houston, Texas. See? <laughs> yes. It's, it's definitely <laughs> Wild well. predictions. They're I like know. Nostradamus over there. <laughs> you know, one of the fun things that I enjoy is when I go overseas, different versions that you get when you're in Germany or Japan or France and hear the different voices. Yeah, they're great. And they, and they have uh, terrific uh, actors and actresses playing them. And um, I cast voices for the... Simpsons movie and what I found was the hardest to cast by far was Marge really that combination of warmth and humor it was really you know there were homers that they didn't sound like ours but they were really funny you could tell the guy was funny like if you would record the actor doing the falling down the cliff scene but Marge was tricky yeah, and isn't it in France? I think the, the French Homer and the French Marge are married or something like yes, that. Yes, that's really sweet. <laughs> the voices. 
Yeah, and what does Homer say in Germany? He doesn't say dough. Oh, I don't know. Oh, okay. Somewhere I read that. I think he says nine or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever you go in the world and then you work on The Simpsons, people are happy to talk about it with you. Well, you said that you could probably do this the rest of your life. I think you said that pretty early on in the beginning when and you first I never came dreamed on the show. It would really uh, yeah. <laughs> be talk a about omniscient. Yes. <laughs> well, go. there was a film I just saw of me in season three saying it could run 20 years. So I, you know, but <laughs> now who knew? I knew, I didn't. Yeah, and you know what happened? Because I remember it seems like about maybe five, ten years ago, the movie came out, and they almost, were saying we were going to do ten. two more seasons, and that's it, and then we'll do maybe a movie or two. And then I remember dreading that moment, and then I don't know, one year, two year, three years go by, and I'm like, well, whatever happened to that? I guess no, they're no, still no. Going. The, the movie. One reason we did it was to, you know, help the show. Uh, you know, become re-energized and, 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 you know, make The Simpsons a huge deal, you know, worldwide. And it was a really big moment. And, and you know, it was never... No, no one that I know of is planning on, on ending it or planning how to end it. I mean, it, it you know, I'm not saying it won't end. Everything ends, but uh, there's no plan. Yeah. Now, do you think you might die on The Simpsons? You might die I, working I believe, on The Simpsons, I, I, I believe, mean. I believe I will die yeah. someday. <laughs> I, I know, I'm, I'm no Nostradamus uh, yeah, there. but yeah, These tech billionaires, <laughs> they're working on extending longevity. You know? All right. Yeah, Elon Musk and those guys. So, yeah, you never know. Yeah, you could be slaving away for Fox uh, forever. But well, there, there are worse, worse things, things in yeah. life. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now, do you have a favorite character before we go? Uh, I love writing for Lisa because when I was a kid, I was more uh, like the kid that would read. My sister was more like Bart. She was more, you know, like unruly, and she would say "rub it up, thanks for the grub" for the, when she was asked to say. Oh, grace. that's from your family. That, that line? was my sister. <laughs> um, and I like comic book guy. You know, I loved comic books, and yeah. you know, he's a voice for all of us. Yeah. Who? Where did the voice from comic book guy come from? I will tell you. He's a. a roommate or college dorm uh, made of Hank Azaria's and he would say if something bothered him you're on my list and I guess <laughs> Hank is really on his list now <laughs> after <laughs> making fun of him for 25 years oh that's hilarious well I'm such a fan I've watched for 27 years now since I was a kid I find myself I mean I'll have entire evenings where I have conversations with people just over the Simpsons and Simpsons references it's everywhere in the culture uh, at one point, I feel like I have to go back and watch every episode because in life, every now and then, I'll miss some type of reference. I feel that if I watched every episode and took notes, I would pretty much be the wittiest guy in the room anywhere right. I go. So, Well, the season premiere is on Sunday. Al Jean, I, I hope that you guys keep on going for another 28 years. Uh, both the show and myself. Yes, <laughs> Thank you. Exactly. Thanks so much for talking to me. My pleasure. Thanks very All much. Right. Thanks again to Al Jean for coming on the show. What a sweet and funny guy he is. And whatever you do, don't miss the season 28 premiere of The Simpsons this Sunday, September 25th at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox. You can follow Al on Twitter at at Al Jean, that's A-L-J-E-A-N. And you can even follow The Simpsons themselves on Twitter at at The Simpsons. And for other cool stuff, visit the Ultimate Simpsons fan site at simpsonsworld.com. 
There's clips, trivia, they have character bios, there's cool insider stuff from the creators, including Al Jean. And if that doesn't satisfy your Simpsons addiction, you can watch The Simpsons reruns five nights a week on FXX. Be sure to subscribe to Kick-Ass News on iTunes and leave us a review while you're there. And if you really want to help out, then donate to our GoFundMe campaign at gofundme.com slash kickassnews. Or if you prefer, you can set up a recurring monthly contribution at patreon.com slash kickassnews. You can visit Kickass News on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at at KA Politics. And please be sure to recommend Kickass News to all your friends on your social media. As always, I welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions at comments at kickassnewspodcast.com. But for now, I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kickass News. <laughs>